When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We find our interlude in the clouds. The indulgence sails through the wispy coastal clouds around Bujani, hovering amongst the sails of a small exploratory fleet dispatched by the young buds. We pan over the brightly painted and decadently filigreed details of the indulgence. Olivia's personal yacht, a small vessel of only 21 cannons and 50 crew. It sits nestled beneath massive warships on either side, with a few schooners moving back and forth, and of course an aviary fit for the finest birds money can buy. Moving through the ship, we can see the smiling faces of sailors, skyjacks all, hardened either in the syndicate or other privateer fleets, that proved themselves to be the best of the best, to be offered the most coveted prize there is. A contract from the Youngblood family. We move past these men and women into a beautifully appointed office and quarters, with walls painted with lavender, elaborate carpets, and fine-worked furniture, each carved with intricate reliefs. Sitting behind a desk, looking over maps, papers, and models, we see Olivia Youngblood. She's dressed in fine clothes that have been unbuttoned and loosened, her hair hangs in strands over her face, and the fading light of the sunset peeks in through the window, being slowly replaced in the room by lantern light. I think it's at this moment that there is a knock on her door. Come in. The door opens, and we see enter Silas Dennison. Silas Dennison is a big, broad man, uh, well-muscled and well-appointed, he looks to be in his late 30s, although those that know him know that he is much older than that. He wears on his person at this point a uniform that is dusty and dirty, as if he has been working for most of the day. Over all of that, he has a long leather coat, good for flying, and sturdy gloves, good for holding the reins of a bird. He has upon his forehead goggles pushed up over a face that is hard and weathered and uh, a beard that is well-trimmed and waxed. He looks as if he has just come from flying. I have the dispatch from Bergenith. Oh, wonderful, Denny, you're just on time. Come in, come in. Yes, ma'am. Olivia is a young woman, just 26, and normally she casts about any room she enters with sharp-eyed confidence. 
Right now, amongst these papers and her wrinkled clothes and dress-down attire and fading makeup, she looks tired and perhaps older than her years. But this tiredness seems to melt away as she welcomes Dennison into the room. She is grateful to see a friendly face. We see Dennison close the door behind him and step into the office. He has in his gloved hand uh, a stack of missives and letters that are the dispatch and all of the information that has been able to be gathered from Bergenith in this particular time. He walks over to the desk, the clump of heavy boots upon the, the polished wood floor, and he puts it down in front of Olivia and slides it across the desk, where he then stands at parade rest waiting for her. Denny. Yes, ma'am. Did I not tell you that we could get you a new coat? You did, ma'am. But I like this one. Hmm. It's well worn. It fits me. I don't want to... I, I see, but y you you do know that you are an admiral now. I do, ma'am. And when I'm called to be admiral, I will wear the appropriate attire. Yes, I was not talking about your um formal wear. I, I, I was... There is a certain level of style that's expected. You've been walking around Bougenith in... I, I'm trying to be generous, Denny. I'm really trying to be generous, but that coat, it looks like you've been shoveling coal. <laughs> there was a bit of shoveling coal when I was wearing it, yeah. I know I've heard. Regardless, please place your coat at the door. I have need of your eyes and your mind if it's sharp enough. Of course, ma'am. Anything. And we see him take off the coat, uh, go and hang it up on the wall. The uniform he's wearing is a young blood uniform. So it is in the colors and uh, style that they are wearing. But it is, even for the short time that he has been with these people, it is well worn mm -hmm. because of all the work he has done in it. I, I imagine if we did a flashback, we would see Dennison in this uniform pulling ropes. We would see him shoveling coal. We would see him like doing star watching and, and navigation. Um, we would see him uh, in like, the galley with the cook, like cutting potatoes and talking with like with the crew, uh, laughing, drinking, like being with them. Uh, so it's it's very much like a rumpled, well-used, well-worn uniform that belies to those that see it a man who is in authority, but uses that authority not to push at people, but to bring them in. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Denison has a bit of an odd reputation amongst the fleet right mm. now, uh, specifically because there are the crew that Olivia has hired and she will hire people for roles that might even be considered uh, lower down on the ship. Uh, individuals who man cannons, individuals who, you know, set sails and work lines and whatnot. But there is a sharp divide between this crew and what is considered the rank and file crew. Those who were not personally hired by Olivia, those call her Admiral. Everyone else calls her Miss Youngblood, Miss Olivia, or Olivia herself. And uh, Dennison is the only person, I would say, apart from perhaps Allegrea, who we'll get to at some point, uh, who will mix with that rank and file crew from Olivia's personal hired crew. Um, I think 
his reputation is amongst rank and file crew, uh, glowing and amongst like Olivia's inner circle, like, well, he's an odd one mm. for sure. Eccentric is mm-hmm. the term. We see Dennison walk over having put away his coat and he actually takes off his, his, the coat that he was wearing over his uniform and puts it on the back of the chair. We see that he's wearing uh, a waistcoat and uh, his shirt. He pulls, pushes up his, his sleeves are already pushed up to reveal uh, on his forearms tattoos mm-hmm. and things that uh, he, he probably never saw him wear or that were ever seen as the captain of the, of the Red Audrin. I have to know, Drew, mm-hmm. uh, on the Red Audrin, uh, was like Denison just the kind of captain who no matter the weather, you would never see him without his coat? Yes. Or... <laughs> <laughs> he was always like, there were plenty of times where they were like, it's summer here, Captain Denison. He's like, I wear my coat no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even in like the bowels of the coal furnace, when he is personally shoveling, uh, everything is baking hot. He's still still in that, in that coat, coat. <laughs> in that poor red Audrin captain's coat. I it's something that like many of like the other adults on the red Audrin had to take kids aside and be like, you can't do it the way Captain Dennison does. Don't it. don't wear your coat when you're doing furnace work. We like, don't know how or why he does things the way he does them, but we're going to advise you against that. And I, I think what it is, is on his forearms, there are naked ladies, like on his forearms, like yeah. tattooed. Oh, that's great. Um, and uh, there are several swear words, and things like that, like inappropriate tattoos that he got as a young man that are faded at mm-hmm. this point, but still there. Um, I think there's a lot of also like designs and things. It's a, it's a lot of the story of Denison's life uh, written on his... I think he has full sleeve tattoos. <laughs> nice. Nice. I love it. Uh, but we see him roll up those sleeves uh, and we can we can see uh, some of the pictures. There's like leviathans on them. Uh, like I said, naked ladies and ships and symbols and words from different places as he rolls up those sleeves and sits down uh, at the desk. What should we start with, ma'am? Well, first, I would hope that you would be very forthcoming if there were any sightings official well there is talk about the tempest armada being here relatively recently not in the last couple of days or weeks or so but the last couple of months i i know about the movements of the armada and yes they they were here and they were here at the same time as the uhuru i'm talking about recent sightings of the ship itself itself well in the dispatch and we see him open open the uh the letters and there's a lot of different Notes and missives, I mm-hmm. think, from different places. Uh, definitely, you know, from the broker. There's a, like a, a stack of things that he was able to get from the information desk. Yeah. There was the 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 broker has you know black envelopes. Uh, the information desk. Um, I I think those envelopes are Manila. Mm-hmm. Um, like that is one of their signatures. Uh, and go on, please. I think there's also a, a stack from the Youngbloods private network mm. uh, in, like, kind of lavender. Yeah. Like a, the lavender el- envelopes. And I think there's probably one or two other little stacks from, like, personal connections, things like that. Thing, like, we... Uh, I think Dennison definitely went down to, like, the docks and, like, asked a couple of people and, like, wrote those down and then put them in, the, in those those piles. So it's a good parcel of... <laughs> I just realized that Denison came in delivering mail. Delivering uh, mail! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's a it's a good parcel of information that he's got, uh, and we see that he kind of spreads it out over the desk um, on his side, so he's not like interfering with her papers. But he's flipping through different things of personal sightings. Uh, I have one from the broker that says that the uh, Huru was seen at a place called uh, Nordia. And he like mm. puts puts that there and slides it across for her to, to read. Yes, I've seen the Nordia files. It's interesting that the broker would feel necessary to weigh in at this point. Did you speak to the man or one of his little skeleton friends? I tried to speak to him personally, but uh, he apparently was very busy. And I didn't get a chance to speak to him face to face. He's intimidated by brash masculine presences uh, we've never had a comfortable conversation before oh, you understand really? <laughs> i i can see him giving you the slip uh i feel like and i don't know if you weren't able to talk to them personally the broker might be holding something back from us more than likely i had never uh, assumed the broker would be giving you all the information mm. I, regardless, I think we know what we need to know. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, she is holding up uh, one of the letters that was housed in a black envelope. Uh, she pulls it out it, it and holds it to the light. It is a uh, written on a black page in black ink. She is squinting at it. Um, it does appear that... A transaction was completed, uh, and if that is within the broker's records, then we can be assured that it did indeed get completed, which adds yet another. And I think she turns and, like, pulls a wall aside or, or, or a curtain aside, a, a beautiful, uh, vel like, a deep royal purple uh, velvet and gold fringed curtain and we can see a madman board uh, yeah there. <laughs> there is a conspiracy board um and it has uh on it like a rough map of sphere this is not an official young blood map of sphere as this is posted large enough that it could be seen by anybody who enters olivia's office mm. and there are proprietary locations uh however is it amalgam map like there's a page and then a page and then a page i think i think that's what it is and they are like kind of traced along there are probably mass-produced like disposable atlases and things yeah. for plotting course and i i you know what i think because we established the ching company has uh, produced maps for the young buds before i think this is a ching atlas which is a map that has pages that can be taken out of it and pinned up uh for plotting specific courses then disassembled and reassembled uh so i think what this has is a rough map of the uhuru's travelings uh that most of us would be familiar with at this point um, it starts with uh, the civilities course over or around Wolf's Tooth. Uh, then it moves over to Bujanith. We can see Nordia. We can see um, the rough location, uh, like or a broad area where it is suspected Ungoni was floating. Mm. Um, and we can see Acheron. Um, there is really. 
there are like maybe one or two missives uh, posted around Acheron, but around, especially Bujanith and Nordia, there are dozens of pieces of information and, and sketches of people and whatnot that are posted around these locations. They are all uh, relating to firsthand accounts of interaction with the Uhuru or Oromar Vale specifically, and everything else is like either a number that is matched to a evidence file uh that holds like uh somebody's account of like ah yeah i saw oromar vale at the bar or i saw oromar vale like win a or, or preside over a illimat game that was was for feather weave and whatnot um uh, dennison's favorite is the one where it's the woman and the three fish husbands yes like that account he has a full account of that it's one of his favorites that's that's perfect uh yeah <laughs> we so, so like they're pinned up, and that like major instances and major players um, have sketches representing them. You can see uh, around Bujanith, there is a sketch of there's a sketch of Hildred Gastar. Mm. She she is there. There are like uh, there's a sketch of the broker and whatnot, and mostly this is tying people and events to the location of the Uhuru. I definitely think that there are pictures, drawings mm -hmm. of the major players aboard the Uhuru. Yes. Like obviously Oromar. Yep. And Gable and Travis. I think there's one of Jonnet, but Jonnet is is drawn older. Yep. Like he's 20. Um, there's like a picture of the model who was on Griffin Beat magazine yes. who posed as Jonnet. As Jonnet, yes. And absolutely. There's there's that. Um, and a few others. But I think that those those are definitely portraits that are made off to the side um, that we kind of have all those pictures of those people. Uh, we see Dennison kind of walk over to the board uh, and look at it, kind of traces a couple of things with his fingers uh, and eventually goes over to where the Acheron section is with a couple of the missives. He goes, this is as far as we've gotten so far. That is at this point only rumors. There were people who said that they were in the area and there is some family connection. Uh, uh, this Kessler child who, who uh, flew, who won the race this year uh, uh, in Bougenith. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. He's supposedly part of the captain's new inner circle. Really? Indeed. He's only 18, 19? Uh, by all reports, uh, around that age. Uh, and... Probably, I would guess, more in the range of, of 16. Mm. I know Ormar has, has the orphans aboard, but I didn't know that. I know they stayed on. I thought he said The what? Oh, are you not? Oh, and he like shuffles through a couple of things and he pulls out, I think one of the, the missives from the Youngblood contacts and he goes, there's this one here. And he slides it across. Apparently, Ormar Vale is keen on bringing orphans aboard. Uh, like her, her dagger opens the letter um, and starts skimming through. My goodness. At every port. Every port. Either some come on or get off. Either way. But there's always children aboard the Uhuru. What? I'm just seeing this report, Denny. You'll have to bring me up to speed. Oh, uh, well, I'm not entirely sure why he does it, other than it's a great way to train up crew and then move them on. But why not keep them on your ship? I don't know entirely. Other than the fact of letting them go and doing what they need to do. Yes, Denny, I need you to think like a man who 
would face an empire for a moment. You go around from port to port, and you pick up orphans, and it says here in the report, teach them skills of trade. Mm. Why not keep them on your crew? Indoctrination. Yes, exactly. You're able to pass on your ideals to other crews? Hmm, perhaps. Other places? But you tarry about with with people who you haven't personally trained. You're you're picking up crew in all sorts of places, in all sorts of ports. If you've already trained up people who are loyal to you like a parental figure... I mean, think of the swift whales. It could also be, Olivia, just kindness. What's the strategic value of that, Denny? Well, if I were to guess and say anything, if there's a strategic value to kindness... It's that you have a ready-made force of people that you're willing to do whatever you wish because they have a love for you. But I'd also say that it could also just be kindness, Olivia. Crew to crew, port to port. That does add a complication. Uh, There are chances, especially if Mr. Vale has been doing this activity long enough, that... There would be friendly ears at nearly every port we're asking questions, which throws into the mix some serious doubts about our spy network. Not that I imagine any of our assets are corrupted, but... No, but anything we hear, we must take with a grain of salt and circumspect. (sighs) It's actually getting more clever now I hear it. Hmm. Well... Uh, if it's that, and he like goes over to the board and he's like, I know that these here, these particular missives were from just crew that we were finding that knew Ormar Vale. If you'd like, I can take them down, but, uh, and have them rechecked. We'll, it's worth submitting them to review. If it's pinned to the board, it deserves to be there, but set it with a mark. We, we can't be too careful. We see Denison pull out a stamp, like an actual, like ink and stamp, mm-hmm. uh, that he stamps those particular ones to be looked at later. Uh, I think the stamp is, uh, it is a, a dragon in a circle, um, that which is his personal, personal mark I to look that. at. Well, the rumors have them going in this direction. He kind of puts his hand over to, to Acheron in the end. But we have a couple more north. We got a couple south here. All right, let's... Take it from the beginning. All let's, right. let's track the timeline. The Uhuru is part of the Tempest Armada, the largest and most formidable Corsair fleet anywhere in the whole of Sphere. And I think the camera's on, like, the section of the board that's, like, the Tempest Armada. Oromar and Sifa, the bandit queen, have a falling out of some kind. Mm. And Oromar begins once again traveling with his old second-in-command. Calavar. Calavar. These two suddenly pull back from allies, leave the Armada altogether, and begin their own journey. One where their movements are secret and their ideas are strange. Everyone talks about interrogations at this point. Uh, uh, They're chasing something. Then... We stop hearing from Oromar and Calavar for six months. They almost don't port at all. They winnow down nearly all of their supplies, and when they finally reemerge at Wolf's Tooth, 
Orma has a brand new captain's council. Mm. They are Travis Matago. How is it different? How is the picture different than what we actually know of Travis? Uh, so I think, I think it is like he looks a lot smugger than Travis looks. It's like, and it's like the wrong kind of smug. Um, I think he also has a full mustache. Yeah, he has like a, like a full handlebar. His, mustache. I think his mustache is much bigger. Yes, it's much much bigger than Travis's mustache. But it like the picture is got such such a punchable face. Oh gosh. Um, Travis Matigo, from by all reputation, a con man who has lived under many names and has such a checkered history that it's difficult for even all of my agents to tell where it begins. And his files double the size of most other ones. Which brings us to another one, Denny. Gable. What does Gable look like? Gable is huge. Like, just, uh, I think, looks a lot stronger and more muscly than Gable looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because Gable participated in the joust, like it is slightly more accurate, accurate to yeah. exactly what Gable looks like. This file doesn't go back very long. However, there are pseudonyms and other names and other identities that I believe can be attached to this person. I Cannot confirm specific identities, but I suspect it. I suspect that we may be able to confirm that this is Thomas the Terrifier. Really? That is my suspicion, Denny. But that hasn't borne out. Not yet. And if it is, they're operating under a different MO altogether. Regardless, by all accounts... Helmsperson and Battlemaster. Not smart, but very, very strong. And capable of some sorceress magics of some kind. Mm. Then we have the Kessler child, who, uh, well, he's young, but he's accomplished a lot. And by accounts in Nordia, has some very considerable magical powers. Yeah. I was most intrigued by the... uh... The missive about the uh, the congregation, the church that was there, and their thoughts and feelings about. It. Have you read that one? I've I've read a little bit. I around religious fanaticism. It's hard to it's hard to say anything. But yes. there's a there's a, a good deal of interesting things in that one. Whether they're speculation or not, whether they're hyped up nonsense or not, I think it's worth reading. Regardless, changes his entire inner circle. Six months of no contact with anyone of any significance beyond purchasing a few supplies, which is always done by an intermediary. That Never is, himself. Yes. And most of them are part of this council. Now, it is important to be aware that also, for a brief period, my brother was a part of this council as well. Mm. I remember you telling me that. And I think we see a picture of... Dref. Of Dref. Yeah. Of, of, of who we knew as Dref, but Alistair Youngblood. Alistair. Alistair was a complicated young man who... He was talented. A doctor. And for the longest time, we believed him to be dead. Most of that is uh, Tiberius's fault. Concealed yeah. it from the family, you know. He was... Captured, kidnapped, 
left voluntarily hard to say, when the Uhuru, during its time traveling around with Calavar uh, still in second command, searching for whatever they were searching for, made a stop at his school and made a point, I believe, of grabbing him. That's fascinating. You'll notice, and he kind of points to all, all of them, each one of these have some sort of sorceress ideal with them. He was a student of the divine and medicine. You know it, uh... Oh, gosh, I'm never going to remember the name of that blasted school uh, operated by by the Slain Church. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the best academy for medical practice, and he was, by all accounts, going to be a fine physician. However, his mentor, that night, the night that he supposedly died and was actually captured or taken into the custody of Oromar Vale... That night, Tiberius arrived to arrest his mentor. For what? Necromancy. I didn't know that. Mm, few did. It was an embarrassment to the church, and obviously having young blood progeny anywhere near someone who practiced necromancy, it's not a good look. It's the sort of thing that there was an attack of pirates and... Everything that no one needed to know was buried. So this is what's interesting to me. We have your supposedly dead brother. Who, Indeed. Who might or might not know bits and pieces of necromancy, but was being taught divine magic by the church at the university. We have Gable, where we have definite corroboration of some sort of sorcery. Jonna as well. As well as Travis. Do you think maybe Oromar was looking for something? There does seem to be some sort of intent in rebuilding his council to focus on people with magical power. And the secrecy with which he and Calavar were searching earlier does suggest that they were after some sort of artifact, you know. You you go asking a bunch of questions in a bunch of different places and no one wants to talk about what you talked about, then it leads one to assume that they were after something nefarious, something very, very powerful. And you have to think. Come to think of it, Denny, do you know what Oromar Vale's great ambition is? Well, there's rumors of what they are. You've have more experience with the man than I have been allowed to. Speak to your experience. What is he after? It's not wealth. No, it's not wealth. Notoriety and fame is mostly what I've heard. Building They're... reputation. Reputation. those are tools, Denny. Yay. But I, I, as you were saying before, orphans. Why bring orphans on? He if found... to forward yourself and your claim to who you are. He founds the Armada with the Bandit Queen, and we know what she's after. Indeed. She wants to bring it all tumbling down. Well, you can only assume, then, that what he wants now is not what she wants. Right. So, they found the Armada with the ambition of taking down the Syndicate, destroying all the order of the rediscovered world. But Oromar... Parts ways. Parts ways with her taking, perhaps, umbrage to that in some way, shape, or form, but continues to build a reputation. So he's after 
some sort of artifact. Something, something powerful, as we can see. That can do something, in his mind, along the lines of taking down the syndicate, or at least doing it in, in some a way. way that he would approve that the bandit queen would not. All the rumors I've heard of Oromar merely paint him as a leader, a messiah, in some way, shape, or form. Someone to uh, come and change the world in a large way, but not to bring it down like the uh, Tempest Armada. I don't know. It's all speculation at this point, but whatever it is, he's at the center of it. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. This is a bit of a surprise for you heroes. Obviously, this is another Youngblood interlude. This came about because with the holidays and my apparently unending illness, thank you Falcon, and everybody's schedules, it was hard to get Allie all the audio that she needed to keep the show going, so Drew and I just sat down and riffed on Olivia and Dennison hanging out together. As it turns out, this is a pretty decent recap of the series thus far. Uh, there will be another Youngblood interlude next week, and after that we're going to be diving right back into mainline skyjacks obviously taking our regular christmas break but heroes if you are looking for more skyjacks content now's a great time to join up on our patreon this week i'm going to be uploading the second part of our session zero uh, this one is a lot chiller than the first one we do get into more meaty world building bits that you will recognize uh, but that'll be in later pieces i still think it's an interesting piece to the puzzle of the story you should be looking forward to that around thursday i think uh, it depends on when i export it today a huge thank you to everyone who supports us on patreon we would not be able to make this show without you we have had to make a bunch of cutbacks to the one shot network this year but I am working really hard to make sure that Skyjack stays here for you every week. If you would like to be part of the effort of making sure the show reaches you on time, go to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and join up to support us. You'll keep the show going strong and in exchange, you'll get all sorts of cool audio bonuses. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us already and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now then a quick word from our sponsor. And with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. So, he goes, he leaves the Armada, spends a few years palling around with his old friend Calavar, and they're searching for something. Then six months of nothing, he emerges without Calavar, and with an entirely new council. You think there's some sort of break there? Well, there must be. Well, yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is, is there some sort of larger break other than he let him go, or Calavar left? I think... If, if it was just Calivar, then he would keep the rest of his council. I would, at least. If someone wronged me, I would at least leave them and keep the rest of my council. But he changes the whole hand of cards. Right. That, that means there was a real betrayal. Some sort of betrayal. On a large scale with his senior staff. It must be. That's a coup. That's a mutiny. So, there's likely unconfirmed 
a mutiny in this history. Possibly. The working theory. We need to locate Calivar. I think we do. That is... It's a primary priority. I think Calivar will at least know what Ormar is after and know whether or not he got it. Mm. That's important because he emerges from this time and starts making some very big moves, Denny. Hey, took down the civility almost immediately after this. Yes. Sunk the civility and Franz Fishhook. That happened somewhere around here, around Wolf's Tooth. Civility was running a bit of a blockade, but also carrying some very secretive cargo. Civility at the time was a vault being co-operated by the syndicate and the church. Mm. It's always that religious wing of the syndicate that you can never quite trust. They kept their secrets well, and I don't at this point have any agents who have any idea what was kept in that hull apart from Weave. Now, Denny, let's put on our red feather caps for a moment. I'm, I'm not really going to, but... Yes, it's... It was a joke. I'm sorry. Continue. Continue. Oh, Denny, you must get much better at jokes. What's your vice? My vice? Yes. What, 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 what's a good thinking vice for you, Denny? Do you smoke? Are you able to imbibe enough liquor to not lose those sharp edges? Just a taste. Uh, she moves back to a liquor cabinet and uh, grabs a very elaborate crystal bottle and pours, I'm going to say, like a finger of whiskey each uh, and goes, do you take it with ice? No, just straight. She pauses for a moment and goes, not exactly straight, and grabs a, another crystal bottle, and uh, it has, like, a glass dipper in it, and she uses that to just splash a little bit of water over both. Mm. That'll open it up, Denny. If you're going to be drinking from my cabinet, you need to know that you're not drinking something that you wouldn't want to taste. She slides a glass over to him. Uh, we see Dennison take the, the glass and take a very small sip just to, he smells it, takes a small sip of it just to kind of keep going in what they're doing. So, where was I? The civility. The civility. Weave. We're putting on our red feather caps because why is there a bunch of unused weave aboard a red feather ship floating up as a blockade vessel in the middle of nowhere? I have a few, and he actually goes through one from the broker. Uh, he goes, this cost a lot for this particular trip, but apparently that weave was not normal. What do you mean? And he opens the missive. Corner of this missive, the weave was a different type of weave of some kind. It didn't bleed red. There's a tip. Where on earth did you hear that? From the broker. Oh, I see. Remington has paid for this then. I believe so. I think he'll be happy enough to know that there is a different kind of weave that doesn't bleed red. And that, and he's like, and he passes that over to Olivia. That was the biggest piece I think I could get. That sounds like a fairy tale, Denny. But this is coming from the broker. And the source is good. Yes, their receipts are better than just about anyone's. And it would explain why you have a bunch of weave just sitting around that nobody's doing anything about it, and why you're not storing it in a facility where it can 
permeate to other red feather ears. If it's not lit, nobody knows that it doesn't bleed red, and if it's just in a ship somewhere, then nobody gets experimental or starts asking too many questions. It also makes sense why the Uhuru wouldn't sell it outright. Take time. Figure out what it is, what it does. Well, here's here's the thing about that, Denny. We have reports of, of them sinking the civility in Wolf's Tooth, then setting a beeline for Bougenith. They arrive there just a few weeks later. So, the assumption is, why would you go to Bougenith with a bunch of featherweave? Well, you're going to sell it. It's the only place in the world you can sell it, unless mm. you already have a buyer in mind. And the Uhuru, at this point, does not. They don't know who they're going to sell the weave to. Mm. That's why you go to the broker. The broker, under normal circumstances, is going to be asking for a heavy percentage. Obviously, there's a lot of confidentiality and assurances and security being offered with that. But if you know who you're going to sell your product to, why not cut out the middleman? So they don't know, then? There is no buyer for it. There's no buyer for their weave. They participate in these games as part of some ridiculous deal with the broker, but they take a meeting. In that meeting, we have J.D. Lightfellow, the cattle magnate and theme park operator. We have the Red Feather Syndicate trying to reclaim its own weave. Mm -hmm. We have the Youngbloods, my... Dearly departed yet traitorous younger brother decides to purchase the weave on his own initiative, or make an offer for it, at least. And we have the Tempest Armada. So who do they sell it to? It goes to the Armada through an official sale that the captain approves personally, personally. himself. Through most of this operation, mm. he goes through intermediaries. There's his man Madigo, Gable, and Kessler. They're all involved, but the final sale is approved by the captain himself, and he exits dramatically to confront my brother as he puts down his brother, Alistair. Something about jumping out of a window, or...? That is the report, and to corroborate that, there is a new window at the broker's office, mm. new glass. They, they put that in, so that window was indeed broken, but... That is three stories, Denny. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot of information to sift through. So a man jumps out of a three-story window and runs across town, goes to his hotel, confronts my brother and several Red Feather soldiers who were under his command. And I was never Tiberius's biggest fan, but he received all the training I received, even if he only paid half the attention. Mm. He was no slouch, and people he would have kept under his personal command to arrest Oromar Vale and obviously go about the dreadful business of having to put down a traitorous younger brother, he's not going to entrust that to no one. That's true. It's a huge breach of conduct in Bergenith. So, Oromar Vale is able to jump out of a three-story window run across town at an incredible speed and outfight my brother and whoever attends him. I know Alistair was involved in that conflict and there must have been a point where he and Tiberius came to blows if he's dead, but 
Alistair was never a fighter. He did spend at least a year aboard the Uhuru, but that's not enough time for a person in his sickly disposition to have lasted even a moment against someone like Tiberius. No. No, I agree. Which means Vale did it himself. So what are we missing about Vale? We'll find it. We haven't found it yet. So, they sell to the Armada, who makes the lowest offer. Mm. There's tens of thousands, and even, and I don't know how, I, I can't imagine Tiberius was actually planning on honoring this, which is another mistake entirely, but he offered two million gold bars. I'm sorry? It would be an amount that theoretically could be raised. He would have to sell estates to do it under his own power. He's trying to buy weave, though. It's not like it's something that Remington would be disinterested in. No. The amount of weave involved... It's considerable. It could have made several ships, especially with modern designs. Indeed. And depending on the size, that's almost... It's a tipping of power. It could, if you stretched it far enough, add 50% to our fleets. And that would be stretching it quite far. But it is considerable. It's enough that the Red Feathers would notice. Yes, it, uh, and I don't know that, well, I don't want to get into measuring unmentionables, but right now, even though our fleet is considerable, their fleet is a considerable bit more, mm. I would say that uh, it, it would be an investment that Remington would balk at the idea of spending two million bars on anything, but... It could potentially be justifiable. Still. I, I think it could be. There's that offer. There's the Red Feather offer, which was mildly considerable, would have come with pardons for the entire crew, and, I hear, training at the Academy for them and their descendants. Really? Which, that's a new life. That's a start over. The best deal that someone like Ormar Vale could ever expect to get from the Red Feather Syndicate, which, considering the offers on the table, I don't think it's worth considering. And Lightfellow apparently put up a, a, a good sum to get that weave. But not enough to tempt. It comes down to the two million and the offer that they did choose to take. It's a big bird in the room. The Tempest Armada. 15,000 gold bars. A pittance compared. Yay. So, Ormar shows up at Bougenith not knowing that he's going to sell his weave to the Tempest Armada. Does it anyway for a song? I don't have the official offer. I do know how many bars, but unless you've brought something in your missives, I don't know what else was offered. No, nothing in the missives this time. There are rumors. There are rumors of promises exchanged between Sifa and Vale. Mm. That comes from accounts of drunken pirates. It's... These are things remembered by someone who heard them from... It's it's tertiary sources. It's not really credible, but it's enough that if we have enough of them, we're painting a picture. We know there's another side to it. There's the he monetary amount and... He would not take just 15. I, I do not believe that. Particularly for the size of the Uhuru yes. and the crew, he would need more money for that crew. Yes, he needs a guarantee that, that more bellies are being filled other, otherwise... I, I'm, I'm sure if I was on his crew, I'd depose him myself. Immediately. So, he does this sweetheart deal with the Tempest Armada, and 
there is some element to it that makes it more worthwhile than the other deals. And I have to imagine there's some kind of sentimentality, but the Uhuru still has not officially rejoined the Tempest Armada. No. So, Denny, we follow from there to Nordia. This is apparently an emergency stop. We know this. They're weighed down, they have to be there, and apparently, while they are sitting at that port, the Mariner attacks. Indeed. And we see Denison go over and pull out uh, a stack of papers about Nordia (laughs) and the events of Nordia and mostly about the Mariner. I think that a lot of the things that he got this time from the broker about Nordia is about, like, the Mariner and Mm -hmm. that particular attack. Yeah. Uh, that that's the broker, the information desk, and I think also coming from young blood agents. There were people dispatched to inspect that area absolutely immediately. Immediately. So we have a clear picture from this batch about the mariner there, and from all accounts, Ormar himself crossed blades with the mariner and walked away. If you believe the rumors, it's at least the second time. I I cannot believe. Olivia, that he would do that and be able to walk away if not. And when he goes over to artifact question mark on the board, if he did not have whatever this is. That, that is a good point. Orma might, it was by all accounts, the Mariner. There are it's too many accounts to disprove it. And they said that they saw the Mariner himself make landing. Nordia is still there, with only a handful of civilian casualties. Which is incredible in itself. Which brings me back to that. Yes. Whatever this is, and he points directly to it, whatever this powerful thing is that he reshuffled his deck for and has no. Yes. Is enough to stand toe-to-toe with the Mariner. That is... That does make our jobs quite a bit more difficult, Denny. Well, it makes us more interesting. Absolutely. So, they cross blades with the Mariner and fend it off. Now, I've seen all manner of accounts. Uh, Some say it was a divine miracle Mm. owed to the Kessler boy. Others say... That the Mariner was struck down, never to return. We have not seen reports of a single raid. Not since then. Now, most people have navigated away from the coast, but that is noteworthy. Indeed. However, there have been sightings of drowned sailor ships sailing across the seas, so it's hard to give that much credence, but... It implies licking wounds. Exactly. The Mariner left that battle and has taken time which means this artifact is quite considerable. We need to find out what it is. We absolutely do. Even a general description, an understanding of it, some sort of direction to go through. There's enough powerful things in this world, but to have even a direction to go through, that would be something. Ormar Vale is a man who is not afraid to use reputation and rumor as armor and even as steel. Mm. If he has an artifact that makes him a force formidable enough to confront the Mariner, which 
I will say, if I were to pick a battle theatre for the Mariner that isn't simply dropping ordnance from the skies, mm. I would pick Nordia. Nordia was rumoured to, believed to, be invulnerable to a Mariner attack. So, perhaps he fought a weakened Mariner. Aye. Not, not the thing itself, but a shadow of it. Regardless. Either or. It, it makes him formidable enough to do that, but he hasn't said a thing about it. No. There are no rumours. No stories, no songs. Nothing. So he's keeping it close to his chest. Why? I don't know. It's not that he's ashamed of it. My instinct would be that whatever it is, powers aside, he doesn't know how to use it. It's a possibility. Otherwise, otherwise he would have emerged. But this following the tale of the weave, they go out and by all accounts go to the mythical floating city. Mm. Have you heard of Ngoni? I have. I've never been there, but I've heard of it. Can you confirm its existence? I can. Absolutely. And uh, it's a, I think there's a missive on the board mm -hmm. where he goes and he's like, this one in particular, this, it exists. I know that for sure. I had a feeling that the Swift Wells would know about it if it did exist. Good. Good. Well, then we can trust the accounts. This is where the bill of sale is complete. They receive their money for the weave in Ungoni. Hmm. Then the Armada departs from there and go about their business, and the Uhuru departs from there to go goodness knows where. Yay. There is the Silver Bullet. They're Corsairs. They are. They were a ship operating around the mainland, brazen, very well equipped, I would say, Mostly did raids with griffins that would disable ships and then descend from on high, and they made quite a tidy profit for a while, mm. but they're sunk. By the Uhuru. Sunk is a strong word. Uh, they were still flying, then they were captured. Interesting. And red feathers got them in the end. They had very few resources. They had just opposed their captain and whoever had taken his place. Well, they didn't have much to speak. However, it may be worth speaking to that man, that former captain. No, I think it would be. We need to go through... You and I will need to speak to him personally, I believe. I believe so. Calavar's on that list. This man is on this list. Yes, yes. He will be key. They depart from this victory against the Silver Bullet and go where, Denny? Well, rumors have them in the area of Acheron, whether north or south of it, but or the town itself. Aye, the newly disappeared Acheron. Yay, I did hear about that. And uh, he rifles through the missives. He goes, this one from the information desk and puts it down. So, we have information desk information that Acheron turns away supplies. Why do they turn away supplies? Because there's no one to receive them. Why is there no one to receive them? Because the place on the map where Acheron is supposed to be... Is empty. ...is a forest. And that's the last we hear of the Uhuru. At least for now. Yay. All the other misses I've collected have heard nothing of it. 
a couple of rumors here and there, like I said, something north, something south. But other than that, and we'll follow up with those, I'm sure. But other than that, rumor, hearsay. Uru has not been concretely seen since then. And the Armada has been very quiet on its fronts as well. Yeah. They're, by all accounts, doing their routine operations, but those are mostly isolated cells, just, you know, supplying themselves with what yeah. prizes they can take. I did hear uh, in, and he pulls out another missive, I think it's also from the information desk, uh, there was a rubbery in shirt aboard a red feather flagship. They took the ledger. Oh, goodness, I believe I did hear about this. Why can't I remember? Uh, she goes to filing cabinets and like sorts through some files and pulls out a thick stack and like opens it up and it is all letters that have been sent by Phileas. That's why I don't remember. It's cousin Phileas and the drabble that he was complaining about. He reaches over and, and takes it and like is looking at it. Uh, Dennison reads through a couple of things. Uh, I definitely think over the corner, over his shoulder, the camera sees and highlights the descriptions of the three children. And uh, he looks at it, and he looks at the timeline of what's going on. And he goes, interesting. Denny. Hi. How long have you been employed with me now? About a month. About a month. And how long have we known one another? Well, I've known you since you were 15. Well, yeah, about 15. And you liked your previous job, yes? I did. And you left that job for this job, yes? I did. So, when you hold information back from me, is that out of loyalty to your former employer? Is it out of stubbornness? What is it? I... There's a moment where he, he he's a little flustered by that and goes, You think I'm holding information from you? Denny, I know you're holding information from me. You were never a spy. He has the letter and he's looking at it. And when he folds it back up, he goes, I will always give you information I believe pertinent. If it's not pertinent, I won't say it. Right. Not pertinent to the capture of Vale, but I assume an amusing story. There is a chance that... Some of my careers were involved in this. Hmm. Wonderful. Okay, I know. <sighs> we were trying to decide what to do with our dear cousin. Uh, he had a major failure and disappointed me considerably. On paper, of course, I've arranged for the whole thing. <laughs> but I think the best way for him to reform from his actions are to work with children. From personal experience, I would say that that would be good for him. It won't. It won't be good for the children either, but it will be amusing to hear about afterwards. Mm. Well, with that decided... Well, I believe we have a bit of a list, then. We need to speak to Calabar. We need to speak to this captain of the Silver Bullet. Find them, at least. Finding Calabar, I believe, will be a, a bit of trick. But we can do it, I think. If the man does not want to be found, it will be very difficult to find him. But we also don't know if he's even alive. Mm. If he pulled a mutiny against Vale, there's a very real possibility that he has been killed. 
There is. There is a good possibility. We just need to chase down the rumours and, if we can, confirm if he has died. So those two we should interview at some point. Yes, those need to be brought in for an interview. Now is time for speculation, Danny. All right. What do we think Vale is doing? Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Tyler is on strike alongside his fellow members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. You can support Tyler and other striking artists by contributing to the Entertainment Community Fund, linked in our show notes. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT, or streaming at twitch.tv slash The Neoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him over on Twitter at Arnie Parrott or on his website, ATP Tunes. This episode was edited by Allie Grauer, who can be found on Twitter at Dreams to Become or on her podcast, Skyjack's Courier's Call. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Lunarum. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show was made in part by using a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals. There are no kings. Take flight. You've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.